Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you first to the Women in Medicine Summit for sponsoring this episode. The Women in Medicine Summit is a transformative CME conference experience unlike any other. It's an event for women in medicine, allies, and truly anyone in the healthcare space. Attend this year's summit in Chicago, September 16th and 17th, to learn leadership skills for professional advancement and career development from absolutely incredible faculty. You can also attend breakout sessions on advocacy and narrative medicine and attend special events like an evening of storytelling led by the Nocturnists and a special hashtag MedGrind coffee meetup. You can imagine how special that one is to me. I am really looking forward to being there. I'm also proud that Explore the Space podcast is for the third year in a row an official sponsor of the Women in Medicine Summit. Check out www.womeninmedicinesummit.org to register for either in-person or virtual attendance. All registrants, either in person or virtual, also get access to the course content for a full year. This is a conference not to be missed. Look forward to seeing you there. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space podcast is Dr. Gabe Boslett. Dr. Boslett is an ICU doctor as well as assistant dean for faculty affairs and professional development at Indiana University School of Medicine, where he is also the fellowship director for pulmonary and critical care medicine. While doing all of that, he has also embarked on a new, incredible trajectory of advocacy in the state of Indiana. He joins us to discuss how and why he has moved his career in this critical direction, as well as his role in the formation of Good Trouble Indiana. Things are moving fast right now. We are coming up on a very important midterm election And Dr. Boslett has really emerged as yet another powerful physician voice in the advocacy space. More and more people are finding that voice who are understanding the megaphone that they carry and the importance of using it. Seeing what he and his team in the state of Indiana are doing is really compelling. This was a fabulous conversation, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. Definitely subscribe to Explore the Space podcast wherever you'd like to download your shows. The whole archive can be found at www.explorethespaceshow.com, and you can obviously find the show anywhere you like to listen to podcasts. Leave us that five-star rating and a review. That really helps us out, and please do share the show with your friends, your colleagues, your teammates, your family. That all makes a huge difference as well. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can follow me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. I'm really proud and excited of the content we're doing on Explore the Space podcast around advocacy by healthcare professionals, and this is just another amazing addition to that catalog. So without further ado, let's get to Dr. Gabe Boslett. Gabe, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. I'm so happy you're here. I'm stoked to be here. You and I have a really interesting connection. I always like to kind of flesh these sorts of things out at the beginning of our conversations. You and I first connected officially through social media, but one of the coolest things that I found out after you and I had connected is that you were the fellowship director for a really good friend of mine, someone who I've literally known since the day he was born, Tobin Greenswag. How cool is this? Yeah, it's awesome, actually. And you and I may have spoken for the first time around the time when Tobin did his Nocturnists. Uh, that's right. Tour. He went on the yeah. Nocturnist, Emily Silverman's production. That's right. Yeah. Absolutely. Which was awesome. Yeah. So that's a great connection. Uh, Tobin's a great guy. I was bummed when he left IU. 
uh, after his fellowship. It's it's such a great reminder too. I love to just spend time in how my understanding of our profession has changed. I used to feel really disconnected from physicians around the United States. Obviously, I knew Tobin, and I you know I know some people. I didn't know you, and now here we are doing podcasts together. We collaborate on stuff. We text. You know, I, the the whole dynamic has changed, and I really really like it. You and I are about the same age. We've kind of been at this for a while. Have you felt that same evolution that our community feels just that much smaller, just that much tighter, just that more connected? I do think I I do, you know, and a lot of that is Twitter. I I do. I really like the medium. I, I, I struggle with it. Um, I struggle with, with balancing being on and not being on, but I do find the connections that I've made through there and the things that I've been able, the, the doors it's opened for me to really be awesome. I mean, I think the last couple of publications I've gotten have been through Twitter connections. Uh, so yeah, I, I, I think it has made the world a bit of a smaller place for those of us who, who play in that sandbox. You know, I know folks who don't, and I fully understand why they don't, but I, I can't imagine not being, not being in that space on, a, on an almost daily basis. I've had the same experience. Uh, it's, it's made my world... It, within my professional world, for sure, feel smaller, my connections that much stronger, the opportunities, I honestly can't count them anymore. I don't even try. I just sort of spend a, a, you know time in gratitude, acknowledging all of that. But it has also, for me, been rocket fuel and quite honestly, career trajectory changing, because I've had the opportunity to learn from so many smart people who spend time in a space that I was super uncomfortable with, which is the space around the physician as advocate and the physician as someone who focuses on public health topics and focuses on political topics and tries to ignite and engage other physicians and healthcare professionals to do the same thing. This was untouchable ground for me just a handful of years ago. And now here we are. How has that journey been for you? Because I have watched with great admiration through social media and then through you and I becoming more friendly and doing some stuff together. What has that sort of space felt like? Where did you start from kind of in training and as an early career attending in this idea of advocacy? Starting there, what did it mean to you when someone brought up the word physician hyphen advocate, trainee, fellowship, early career attending? It didn't mean anything to me or, you know, yeah. uh, and, and frankly, even even in late 2019, it didn't mean anything to me. I mean, I was always interested in politics. I was always interested in the interface of science and society. I actually was a science, technology, and values minor at Notre Dame when I was an undergrad. And I love, I, and I have a, a philosophy uh, master's degree. I, I love that interface of science and the humanities. But, you know, I'm a completely different human being now than I was in, the, in late 2019. Uh, my career and the trajectory of my career is completely different than it was. And, and, you know, you talked about the, the evolution, like if you look at my social, if my, at my Twitter feed and my Twitter posts over the last three years, 2019, I was pretty much just med ed a little bit about apples maybe. And, and that's about it. <laughs> right, the and, apple. yeah. And then I, and then I started and got into COVID. And so we all sort of did yeah. the COVID thing for a while and that has kind of yeah. come down. And then the last, probably I'll be honest, since the vaccines came about, that's when I started to allow myself to, to post about politics and health policy that, that now I'll be honest with you that 
it dom- that dominates my Twitter feed. You know, I'm struck by your word choice there. Allow myself. Walk us through the process that you had to maneuver through. Right. Those are the, the, there's a sense of permission. There's a sense of am I maybe doing something that I shouldn't be, but I'm going to do it anyway. What was this? allow myself. I'm really struck by that. Walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, that's, I think all of us, any of us who start as physicians and get into advocacy, go through this initial phase of a little bit of shame about it. And it feels a little dirty at the beginning because we're, we're sort of the socialization process that we go through in becoming a clinician and a physician is that we, you know, the, the, the hidden curriculum is that this isn't part of what we do. Right. We see patients, we leave politics and religion and all that stuff at the door and we we ignore it and we we don't talk about it. And I I think that's I'll be honest with you. You know, my change through the pandemic has made me realize that not only is that wrong, but I think we have a duty to talk about this stuff. I think that we have a duty because the the decisions made both in Washington, but honestly, more so at our own state houses, regardless of the state in which you live, has a huge effect on the flow of patients that come into the hospital, right? And COVID made me realize this. You know, I live in a state where still less than 60% of the individuals are are vaccinated against COVID-19. And if we have a surge this winter, December 2022, which which we may, um, it will be unvaccinated folks. And why are those people unvaccinated? Those people are unvaccinated because they have drank the Kool-Aid from people who have been elected that have that have implied that vaccines are not safe and effective, that still imply that despite overwhelming evidence that they are. So so what, what really gave myself why I really gave myself permission to do this was I got pissed off enough, frankly, um, that I could no longer remain silent. and. And, and I don't regret it. It's, it has been that, that shift, that, f- that flipping of the switch has, n- has not led to the untoward co- consequences yet that I anticipated that it might. I want to just in parallel walk that road with you a little bit, but then I want to spend some time in that space of perceived consequences. For me, it was a similar journey, but the fuel was a little bit different. And I think it's because where I live, the impact of misinformation was not as profound. It was more learning about as a history major and as a historian, allowing myself to take on board what I had always been seeing, but to put it in context and have situational awareness around structural inequities and structural impacts and what they were having on those around me, my community, my friends, my colleagues, and how they were missing me as a white male physician who is a third generation doctor and and owning it and saying, okay, now that I see this, I can't pretend I don't know anymore. And I have my conscience to answer to and my parents and my wife and my sister and my son who are going to ask me questions, acknowledging that I have this growing platform. What are you going to do about this? It's extraordinarily motivating. And I think that what we can say then, hearing our two different stories, but we're in this similar place, your road is your road. There's no right or wrong answer, but you got to get on the road. That is exactly correct. And the, you know, the, the interesting part is that 
had COVID not happened, none of this would have happened. To you, yeah, yeah. you or me, I think, right? I mean, if yeah. you look at physicians on Twitter, you know, there were a lot of us who sort of rode this COVID train to having a relatively large platform. And so that, I wouldn't have been on Twitter half as much, exactly. right? That's exactly. It would have right. all been very different. Yeah. And so, you know, part of my struggle as COVID has calmed down, which is fine. I'm happy that COVID is gone. <laughs> yeah. and, and and I would give up, you know, all of the, all of Twitter, you know, to, to not have had to live through that. At the same time as COVID has calmed down and I'm left with this Twitter platform of, of, a relatively reasonable sized platform in a small red Midwestern state, the question I was faced with is, okay, what do I do with this? How do I yeah. turn, you know, a, a platform where I can either talk about, you know, apples and, you know, sour peeps and goofy stuff like that for the rest of my life? Or is there a way for me to, to sort of take this platform and use it for good, um, for good in a state that, in my opinion, you know, needs more voices for good. And so that, that was the challenge for me and, and sort of the thing that I had to coalesce in my brain over the last six months is what do I, what do I do with this now that I've been given with it, given it? As you've been doing that, and as I have been doing it, one of the questions that comes up a lot, and I would imagine you've been asking yourself this because like me, you know, you're a whole person, you're an attending You've got a family, you take care of yourself, you like to exercise, you have a wide array of responsibilities, both personal and professional. This is a new one, right? This is now three years old and in the last six months has continued to expand. Let's talk about finding the time. Let's talk about prioritization because the most common question that I get asked when people meet me for the first time or you know just wanna know about the, the, the journey, how do you find the time? Where do you find, the, wow, you, how do you do all of this stuff? What is that puzzle putting together look like for you so that you can execute at the highest level on all of these things that you set out to do? Yeah, so this is a great question. I give a talk called Organizing One's Life and Work where I give this sort of discussion of how starting in 2016, I had to really reanalyze how I was spending my time. And I got to a place where my email's not on my phone. I don't do stuff at night or on the weekends, 99% of the time for the most part. But but that's that's my work work, right? And so the advocacy stuff, which for me has only come up over the last, I don't know, since COVID started, but really in earnest over the last few months, it's really ramped up. That stuff I have to do at night and on the weekends because I have a normal job during the day that I can't ignore, right? I mean, I'm a program director. I have a I have 500 applications literally in my inbox right now to review, to, to invite people to interview. And so I can't not do that. And so I wind up having to do this stuff on my own time. And luckily, at this point, at least, um, there's, there's enough adrenaline associated with it and, and passion around it that I don't mind giving up a couple hours with a cup of coffee on a Saturday morning or like tonight at nine o'clock, we'll have a meeting um, on Zoom. I mean, I don't mind that for now, but I, but from a long-term perspective and, and you, you know, this as well as I do that the game that I'm playing is of the long game. It, it's, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. I, you know, I'm struggling now to figure out, okay, how do I turn this into something where I can protect a little bit of my time to do this so that I have some set aside time and I'm not doing it in the evenings going forward. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm struggling with that at this point. I share that struggle. It's, it's, ongoing work for sure but in that sense of again 
for the long game, prioritizing and thinking about what's going to matter and where do I want to be able to look back and say I invested in X, Y, and Z. The stuff is up there, you know, thinking about gender equity and climate change and, you know, gun violence reduction and, you know, women's rights around reproductive health. You know, this is big ticket stuff and it's all converged at the same time. I feel uncomfortable with the idea of saying I waited. I, 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 you know, I did that long enough. I came up with excuses because I'm pretty conflict averse. I came up with reasons for a long time why I didn't need to weigh in. You know, things that I had been told, things that I had kind of seen. It's not my fight. This isn't your job. It's unprofessional. Like I've, I've disavowed that stuff, but it would be very easy for me to fall back into those same things of finding a reason why not, as opposed to finding reasons why to keep going. It's even, uh, there's even more reasons in a state like Indiana, as opposed to a state like California, right? So this is a red state where I, we have a state house that has a Republican supermajority that's in a special session right now to pass uh, a a government mandate against abortion. And I've started not talking about as a ban, but as a government mandate. Um, And this is a fight I'm likely to lose, right? I, I testified in the state house yesterday against this bill, I testified or I was there last week for all the testimony in the Senate side. This is there is likely to be something passed at the same time. You know, if it's passed, you know, I will be able to lay my head on the pillow at night knowing I did my darndest to prevent it, despite the fact that I lost and that we have gathered stakeholders here in the state of Indiana for the long term fight to sort of write what most of us consider to be a lot of us consider to be a wrong. How much do you buy into the idea that in doing so, right, in kind of being part of the vigorous dissent, that you are creating a different tradition for physicians and trainees, right? You just said you're going to have 500 applications. They're going to, they're going to interview some of them maybe on social media. Some of them may follow you. Is there a sense that you may be laying in sort of a new paradigm doing a bit of role modeling, perhaps, uh, and also just sort of saying to our demographic, right, mid-career white men who are physicians and healthcare professionals that you have a role here, that you do need to pick up your megaphone, or is that pie-in-the-sky naive Shapiro stuff? That's not pie-in-the-sky. That's not pie-in-the-sky at all, and that is, you know, I worry reviewing these applications and bringing these bringing folks here to interview that I'm going to get asked questions about, you know, practicing medicine in a state where the state house has now sort of legislated nuanced medical decision-making for one of the specialties and whether or not that, and, and frankly, I think it should send a chill across all of medicine in, in all honesty. <laughs> yeah. At the same time, you know, I think that saying, look, if, if, if you like fighting injustice, let's do it this is where we we should be like we need to to practice good medicine learn how to be good pulmonary critical care docs but there will be work to do in making things better here in the state of indiana and um, i'm proud to say frankly that in the state of ohio there's a group called ohio physicians for reproductive choice i think that's what they're called um and or reproductive rights actually ohio physicians for reproductive rights that is um there's two or three folks who kind of are heading that up and one of those folks was one of my fellows and finished two years ago. And so, no. yes, and it is, and, and truthfully, of all the things that I do, I am probably more proud of her and the work that she's doing 
Uh, Not that I, you know, I wasn't doing a ton of advocacy then, but that I even had, you know, any uh, input into the human that she has become to do that is one of the sort of things that I will take as as one of my career, biggest career accomplishments uh, of all time. It's awesome. And and you'll have this connection, right? You guys are going to work together. We you guys have, are going to text and email and collaborate have, for the next 25 years. We have weekly meetings. That's exactly right. right. <laughs> that's, the, that's the sort of stuff that also for me, right, those adjunct things, the relationships that crop up, the opportunities to learn, the opportunities to motivate, the, also the opportunities to support as we go through hard stuff and as we lose fights that we feel like are worth fighting it's tiring, you know, and, and having people to lean on who can just sort of sit with you either virtually or on social media or in real life and say, yeah, man, I, I get it. There's value there too. Yeah. I, I think your character is built in the fights that you go into with the knowledge that you may not win. Right. I mean, I think those are, char- those are, those are fights that build character and, and that build, you know, I've learned a ton um, about organizing in um, uh, around Senate bill one here in Indiana which is a fight that everyone has said is a losing fight. But I've learned it's so interesting so much. because in our profession and for you as an intensivist too, we do that in our professional work a lot. We will engage with patients and families where we know and and share transparently with them, look, the odds may not be in our favor here and we are going to work as hard as we can to change those odds and to learn and to do differently and to be agile and kinetic and super aggressive. That's part of our job. I've never thought so. About it's it. a natural fit. You're absolutely right. I mean, especially as an ICU physician, there are people coming coming to the ICU, yeah. and I read their chart and I kind of just shake my head. Um, and at the same time, I walk the road with them and and do yep. my darndest. And and sometimes, rarely, we we do win together. Um, and a lot of times, we walk the road and and it 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 it's it's not the win that we had hoped. And but part of it is is that journey and the growth that happens in that journey. And I think that that's some of the stuff that can hopefully be motivating for more of our colleagues, because again, there aren't enough of us that are in this space yet. As you talk about this, again, acknowledging that Twitter can not always be a great reflection of real life. As you move through your division meetings, your meetings with your fellows, grand rounds, how much does your work in this advocacy space come up and how is it being received? Now a lot. It comes up a lot now. And I just gave grand rounds this morning, actually, at our children's hospital here, literally about sort of my, you know, Marvel Genesis story of how I became, how I sort of got into this role. And it's, it's well, it's generally well received. I mean, I think people see the value. Um, You know, I think that, I think, again, I think the pandemic has, has sort of, you know, opened people's eyes to the fact that, you know, there, some of us need to be in these spaces, um, I would argue all of us need to spend some time in these spaces. And so, you know, I haven't had a lot of people, I've, I've not had anyone look at me and be like, Gabe, why are you doing this with your time? Like, what are you doing? There's been no one that's done that um, and said that most people are like, oh, oh my gosh, thank you. You know, thank you for speaking up. And how can I help? Like, what are the things that I can do to sort of turn this anger into action? Um, and so that that's, it's, it, it's been a, it's been positive around the, around the, you know, all, uh, from everyone at this point. That's great to hear. I, I'm still in a space of having some amount of reluctance to share all of the stuff I do at work. I'm not quite sure why it's always been that way. And that's going to be a bear. I mean, my colleagues and teammates know 
that I host a podcast and like to give grand rounds and things of that nature. Um, I was really fortunate to have an article written about some of the work I do around gun violence and gun advocacy in our in the, in our region's newspaper. And when it came out, I, I kind of shared some of your concern, like what kind of pushback may I get around this? I have none. Yeah, it's been. Thank you. How can I help? How can I learn? What are you doing? Uh, and and that is really exciting and motivating. I think that we have that opportunity again to be role models and to say this is normal. This is this is not strange behavior. This is actually normal and in keeping with the best practices of of our profession. And that for me is really exciting. And then seeing people like you do it and more and more do it. Uh, it's just rocket fuel. I fully agree. And and I fully agree. And it, there's just, a, and, and, and right now is a time when people are motivated and activated and ready to sort of get involved. So from my perspective, figuring out how to get those folks hooked into things that, you know, uh, keep the fire going for them yeah. um, and make them feel like they're participating in the process in whatever way that that's helpful is sort of what where I'm interested in in doing is just making those connections for folks. It's that sense of making connections for folks and doing what you also just said, moving from anger to action that I think you and I, we've talked about this. This is the pivotal thing. One of the one of the one of the downsides of Twitter, let's just be honest, is it's it gives the illusion of action. Tweeting about something is not the same thing as taking tangible action. But I think it sometimes, and I've been in this space too, feeling like I've done a great job because I tweeted about this. That's not the same thing as writing or speaking or calling or connecting at the shoulder with somebody. What have you found to be the right levers to pull to help people who have that sense of whatever emotion it is, to get that potential energy to go kinetic. What are the things that you found to be effective to actually help them make that transition? Look, getting um, the thing that I found to be the easiest is to literally give them everything that they need to do something small and move it in the right direction, right? So I've done threads on, you know, calling your legislator about gun safety, where I literally put you know, here's where you find your legislator. You're going to get a staffer on the phone. Here are the words that you use. If you're nervous about it, read this, uh, you know, fill in your legislator's name and read this three sentence paragraph. And that's all you have to do. And that literally might be my favorite thread of 2022 so far. That, I'm not kidding. That, I love so it. I've done that through the pandemic, probably three or four times. And this last time I got a note, I got a DM through Twitter from, uh, a person who said, look, um, my husband is a lifelong Republican and um, I, I convinced him to call our legislator, who is also a Republican, and urge him to vote against this bill. And the only way I could get him to do it was by literally using the script that you gave me. And that, to me, that one DM was worth all of the angst that I've had about all this stuff. Right. That I got one person to sort of do something um, that to me is the most rewarding thing in the world. So figuring out what are those little low hanging fruits that I can sort of put in front of people and be like, oh, you're mad about this. OK, here's something you could do to sort of try to make it, you know, to try to make it better. Um, to me, that's massively rewarding. 
one of the things that you put in that thread that I also think people can easily lose sight of, myself included, people have that sense of my voice doesn't matter. I'm one person. What I think people don't realize, and you have done a really nice job of illustrating, and quite honestly, Gabe, and we've talked about this, like I have, with credit given, mimicked your thread because it's really effective and we don't have exactly the same followers around calling your elected official. You remind them that someone is going to get on the phone with you. You will speak to someone and every single call slash opinion is tallied. They track all of it. And that is a true statement. Whether they agree with it or not, they track all of it. And so you've got to load the scale to the point where that weight eventually will be felt. It might not be felt in the midterms and it might not be felt in 2024, but if you're not calling and putting some, some beans on the counter, you're not getting anywhere. That's right. And that, that's not only true for, for, for those legislators who you think are on the fence or on the other side. So my legislator, my state Senator in Indiana is, is a Democrat is, is against the bill that's currently in session. And I asked him, uh, we had a call last week and he was on and I, and I said, you know, um, JD, do you, you know, do I need to call you? Like you, you, I know where you stand here. And he's like, yes, you do need to call me because if I, if, you know, it's helpful for me to go to my Republican colleagues and say, listen, I'm getting, you know, a hundred to one calls against this bill. But, but if you, but if the people who are against it aren't calling me, then I can't say that. And so, so regardless of where your legislator stands, you should get the tally. So I call him every day. I've called him already today um, so that he knew I know his legislative assistant now. You know, he knows me by name. So he he knows every day to put that little check mark down for me because uh, because that's important. And it can also be totally anonymous. You don't have to give them your name. You can say, hey, I'm a constituent of this official and I'd like to give you my opinion and hang up the phone. Correct. And you can do it every day, yep. like you said. You should do it. Yep. There's no, there's no limit. Th- this is all sort of of a piece for this, as we talked about, and I don't want to kind of beat on it too much of this evolution that you have, con- that you're continuing to work through. And it's it's become more tangible with a project that you've launched that I, I think is remarkable. Good Trouble Indiana. Yeah. Take us through the genesis and the vision for, what a name, by the way. Oh my gosh. Good Trouble Indiana. Yeah, Good Trouble, good, the Good Trouble Coalition, Good Trouble Indiana, it was born of a tweet, of a coffee-fueled tweet on June 3rd. I tweeted, look, if there are physicians in Indiana who are frustrated with the way things are going here at the state house, DM me, because I'm looking to cause some good trouble. And that was just based, that was just after the John Lewis uh, quote from, the, from 2020, before he passed away, where he says, you should make good trouble necessary trouble. And um I had a bunch of people reach out to me. And so I was like, oh man, okay, I got to figure out how to do this. So I created a Google form. Uh, I shared it. Uh, I, I asked p- those people to share it. I quickly had like 300 people who were interested. So I got a steering committee of, of groups, folks in there who I knew were activated and interested in, um, in, in advocacy together to sort of say, okay, what does this look like? We ha- we had a couple Zoom calls. We had seventy people on a first Zoom call on thir- on a Thursday night at uh, wow at nine o'clock nine p.m. Um, right, you can find time if you want to. That's if exactly it's important right. enough. And find so the time. now now we have a website, thegoodtroubleindiana.org. We have um, there's uh, one of our members cr- makes these awesome Good Trouble shirts. Um, we we were instrumental in getting folks to the state house last week for the Senate uh, 
for the t- advocacy and uh, uh, test public testimony for Senate Bill One. Um, we published last Monday, which was the first day of the um, uh, uh, special session. We published in eight newspapers around Indiana, full page ads with over eighteen hundred names. Uh, the open letter uh, for, uh, for of healthcare practitioners for reproductive rights in the state. It's a really cool thing. I actually have it framed now in my office at home. It's awesome. And it's relatively quickly become a group that legislators have turned to to ask. In fact, I, 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 we're putting together a thing to get signatures for tomorrow about, uh, about an, a potential amendment for Senate Bill 1. Um, because one of the legislators was like, can, can you prove to me that, uh, that physicians are behind this? And they came to us and were like, okay, well, we will get you as many signatures as humanly possible between now and tomorrow. So yeah, it's all, we, and not only that, but publishing full page ads in eight newspapers around the state of Indiana cost us a boatload of money. And we raised a lot of money in just small grassroots donations from the people who signed. So we've done a lot in a relatively short period of time. And we're trying, we're now in the phase of, okay, let's sort of, Let's incorporate this, turn this into something official, realize this is a long haul thing um, and go from there. Everyone's still activated now because we're still in the special session, which goes until August 14th. But the Good Trouble Steering Committee and and steering group is looking forward to say, okay, after this special session, what does this look like so that we can continue this going? Because this is a long game issue. It's been awesome. I can just hear in the tone of your voice how fired up you are about this. It's really cool. One of the fun things about podcasting for this long is I've, I feel like I've developed a, a better sense of emotion as it translates in inflection, tone, rhythm, everything. And I can just hear it. And it's, it's so compelling. What comes next? I mean, it, it, the special session will end. The midterms are in November. Do you have a, a horizon yet? Or is it, Hey, let's just cobble this thing together and get going. Right now we're cobbling, but you're right. The midterms are in November. Um, That's a big deal in the state of Indiana, because like I said, the Republicans have a super majority. Um, It's a really interesting year with Roe v. Wade, with the gun safety stuff. It's a year where, you know, before a lot of people thought that, you know, there was, there were going to be major problems for, for candidates who were interested in public health and gun safety. And now that's maybe turned on its head. I mean, look at what happened in Kansas last night. Um, nobody not, would have predicted right. that. No one did I predict know. it. I mean, all, all the all of the prognostication was exactly the opposite. I know. And so, it's just a reminder, man, weigh in. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. And so our job, my job and the Good Trouble Coalition's job is to sort of keep people activated through November to try yeah. to get some of these folks elected so that so that we can sort of start to move things in a very, very red state back toward purple. There's work to be done, and you're a great person to follow for all of the reasons that you and I have been talking about, role modeling, coaching, giving tool sets, and then also providing organizations for people to become a part of. How do people find you? How do they follow you? They follow me at at GBoslet on Twitter. Um, I also, for the last three years, have written the Hoosier COVID update page on Facebook, which is at which is Facebook slash Hoosier COVID. I'm still doing that every other week, which is I've written 130,000 words there over wow. over three years. Um, and then uh, they could go to goodtroubleindiana.org and check out what we've done there. And if there's anyone out there who lives in a state that doesn't have a place for healthcare workers who are interested in, the, in p- patient-centered care, public health, and uh, social justice, I am happy to help you uh, d- 
do replicate what we've done here in whatever way, shape or form you need to sort of start to organize those of us who are upset um, about what's happened over the last three years, because that's what, in my opinion, that's the good that will come out of this. It's pretty amazing. Less than two months, over 800 people, a part of this thing, all that money raised so you can take out these big advertisements. I think that when we think, when we think about going kinetic, this is what we're talking about. Like This is what happens. And it's just what comes next is going to be very, very compelling. And, and I'm just delighted we got to talk about it a little bit. And I'm thrilled that I get to keep following you and working with you, Gabe. This was an absolute treat, man. Thank you for everything. You too, Mark. Keep doing what you're doing. This is I, I love uh, Explore the Space. And it's been uh, it's been just awesome. Thanks, man. Yep. My thanks once again to Gabe for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. Definitely check out the links in the archive to Good Trouble Indiana. Definitely follow Gabe on social media as well. He's doing lots more media on multiple other platforms too. All good stuff to follow and check out. And you can gather all of it by following him on Twitter. There's a link in the show notes. So please do check that out. My thanks also to the Women in Medicine Summit for sponsoring this episode of Explore the Space podcast. You can attend this year's summit in Chicago, September 16th and 17th, or attend virtually You can go to www.womeninmedicinesummit.org to register for either in-person or virtual attendance, and all registrants get access to the course content for a full year. It's an extraordinary conference. The skill building is amazing. The faculty is absolutely fantastic. Look forward to seeing you there. And my thanks once again to you for listening to Explore the Space podcast, and thank you for sharing it with your friends and your colleagues. That all makes a huge difference. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. Hit me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. We will be back soon with more great content. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.